So, another donation. We need another one of those. So, we're going to think this morning um, about this experiencing God, knowing God, following God, following Jesus. <laughs> it's really easy. Um, it's much, much easier than we think. And we've managed to get into really complicated places. And one of the reasons why we get into complicated places is because... Um, in some ways, it's what Jesus has for us is too good to be true. And um, I heard in one of the talks somebody saying, um, you know, when you think that what God has for you is too good be, to be true, it exposes an orphan spirit. It exposes an orphan spirit. And an orphan spirit is one that I know very well because I grew up much of my life with an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit comes out of a place when you, where you don't know what it's like to be nurtured and receive, uh, and it usually comes from your childhood. And it took me a long, long time, and I think, think it's still happening, but um, of not believing it's for me, or believing somehow I've got to work this thing out and I've got to try harder. And um, I hope this morning that we'll be encouraged to, to understand that... Uh, God is nicer than you are. He's kinder and he's wiser. And you're not a big problem to him. He actually isn't very disillusioned with you. He's not particularly disappointed in you. Um, he's, he, he often is quite sad over you. I was speaking, you know, I, I stand up here every week and I mutter away here. I actually spend most of my week uh, with you and with other people one-on-one. -on -one. So I'm not a romantic. I spend most of my week uh, sharing the pain of people and the struggles with pe of people have. I had one encounter this week with somebody who, who said, you know, and they, they really are just catching a very, very faint whiff of God's love at this point in their lives. And they're very broken and they're struggling a lot. And they said, I feel this incredible pain in my heart whenever I sort of see Jesus and it's very very few times I see Jesus there's this incredible pain in my heart I said do you know what that is I said no and I said what you what you see what you're hearing and what you're seeing and feeling is what God's feeling over you you're f he's he's showing you how he feels over you and he feels this pain over you in your life right now it's not a pain that's condemnation it's a pain that comes out of love which is what Jesus showed when he looked over Jerusalem and said how I long that you would come to me and you wouldn't and God's heart over everyone here is huge it's huge in psychology they talk about uh, people being like uh, islands and the, and if you want to to work with somebody in psychological ways anyway uh, what you want to do is you, 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 it's like taking a rowing boat and you row around the island you look for a beach to land on and a beach is a place where you might have some common interest or you might find something that they're excited about so if you're a musician and I'm talking to you I would find a way of I, and I hear about music then we've, I would try and work out metaphors that would be about music and God's love for you um you can use anything. I mean, I've had long conversations with Ted over there, and he likes to fabricate steel and make you know stuff out of steel. So we've had lots of conversations where we talk about the steel and the business of making steel, and then we just switch it around and say, well, that's how God works. And what's, it's fun. 
you find places where you can actually build contact and communicate so that it makes sense to the person. If Jesus were to land on the beach of your life right now, what would happen? It's not a threatening question, by the way. If Jesus were to show up on the beach of your life right now, what would you feel like? Maybe overwhelming joy. You could be happy, accepted, shared. I don't know what you would feel. I know, I know what you're, you're saying now, and that might be true, but if he actually happened, would that be true? That's our desire that it is true. But how do you get from the concept of God to the assurance that you're safe with him? How do you get from the theory of God loves me unconditionally to a place where I live under that unconditional love? You might take risks and step out, but I, you know, um, we're all in a place of growing into that risk, aren't we? And I just want to think about that because imagine you're, imagine you're, um, you could go into this country when the first uh, white people came here, but I don't really want to go down that road. Other than imagine you're coming to an alien place where you've never been before and you meet up with this people that have never met you before. So you have no language, you have nothing in your background that is pretty much common. What would you do? What is the first thing that you want to do? I'm, if, if I'm the, if I'm the uh, we just have to tolerate this because it's just clicking. If I'm, the, if I'm the one landing on the alien and you're the alien, what is the thing that's going to be most important? Some kind of communication and what, is, what are we going to be trying to communicate? Peace. Don't be afraid. So I'm going to communicate that by how I walk up that beach. I'm going to communicate that by not looking threatening. I'm going to communicate that by the tone of voice. I might communicate that by bringing something and leaving it that doesn't hurt you. It might be food. It might be gifts. Because what am I trying to do? I'm trying to say, I'm here as a friend. Don't be afraid. I don't know your language. You don't know mine. We've read about that in history. It's happened all over the world many times. Right? What happens if we understand that when God to come into our lives, it's a bit like that. A hugely powerful person turning up in your beach. He could blow your beach to pieces and you anytime. But what was God doing with Jesus? God came onto your beach actually as a baby and lived among people for 30 years so that they wouldn't be afraid of his voice. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And the reason he did that was that you and I wouldn't be afraid of him. We wouldn't be afraid of his presence among us because he said, I'm not trying to hurt you. How would you meet a people who were in desperate trouble, were very defensive, very anxious, 
and you've come to actually set them free, but they have no perception of what that is. And what usually comes out is anger and violence. And so God gave us this very uh, slow revelation, if you will, of the fact that He's very personal, He's very kind, and He's not out to hurt us. I wonder if you believe that today. That God has the, a better plan for you than you have for you. So how does it work in human lives? How does it work between people? Why didn't God create human beings and you sort of pop up and you're 20 years old? This is your mother, this is your father. Let's start there. 20 years old. No, it starts with conception, and then it starts with pregnancy, and then it starts with babies, and then it starts with growing up with parents many times without, but let's talk about a perfect world right now, with parents. What's happening from conception through the whole process? You've got a young life that's landing on your beach. It cannot speak. It is incredibly helpless, and it's reliant upon you. And it either picks up trust and safety and love, or it picks up fear, hurt, abandonment, all those kinds of things. Most of the issues around human behavior that are, 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 are destructive or shut down are determined on that beach in the first five years where we learn our value or lack thereof. I'm reading a, one of the books of Gabor Mate. What's his name? Gabor Mate? Gabor Mate called, uh, you know, about his, he's, he's a, a doctor practicing amongst addicts in, in East Hastings in Vancouver and pretty much categorically says that everyone he treats dealing with drugs has been abused as a child in some way or other where there was violence on the beach. Everybody here has not had perfect lives on the beach when they were growing up. doesn't matter what you've got. So, God comes to us in Jesus, born as a baby, growing up amongst us, to say, don't be afraid. I'm leading us into something that, you see, John spoke in his gospel, and he said, the word of God became flesh and lived among us. Everything that you and I desire that would make our hearts come alive impacts our heart. Everyone here wants love. Everyone here wants security. Everyone here wants peace. Everyone here wants to belong. Everyone here wants joy. Everyone here wants meaning and purpose. Everything we desire actually is felt in our heart. And so one of the keys to following God and being open to God is beginning to listen to your heart. But we have learned, because we've come from a very distorted history, that our hearts are not to be trusted. Because we equate heart, heart with emotion, and that's all. And so you go through history, what's happened with the gospel, where Jesus came 
in human form. He, he lived among people. Most of his interaction with people was, where does it hurt? Don't be afraid. They touched him and he healed them and they went, wow. He's so unlike all the other religious leaders who just talk and control us and tell us what we are not. And it's boring and it's heavy and it doesn't bring life. And Jesus spent three years bringing life not by his complicated teaching but by his life that was transparent and absolutely poured out, radiated love and the kingdom of God, which was healing and hope and joy. And that's why the people who he poured his life into over those three years, except for one, all were, all were prepared to do anything for him, including lay down their lives eventually. Why? Why? They weren't really intelligent. They weren't, and I mean by that, they weren't really educated because you can be intelligent without being educated. But they hadn't got the degrees or the training or the formal training that many had. They were people from very simple walks of life, people from very uh, uh, hands-on lifestyles. Because what was God doing? He was saying... I'm trying to communicate the love of God the Father to a people who have no capacity for me to explain it with words. So what happens in the church? Go through church history. Within 400 years, the church is getting quite organized as an establishment. At the time of Charlemagne, he, he says it's, uh, it's now decreed that everybody will be Christian, although certainly there's no more persecution of Christians. The church becomes westernized and is sort of flourishing in the east. The church has become an organization. And human beings love organizations because it gives them control. And what happened with the organization and with the control is that the people who lived in the church and who worked out of the church were educated and the people who worked out of the church began to control those who weren't educated and say, this is what God thinks and says, and this is how you get accepted to, to God. You have to be baptized and you have to be confirmed. And those were two key dramas in the church, baptism and confirmation. And baptism became a long ritual of things you have to do to become acceptable, and confirmation was only open to those who, 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 who had made some decisions. And so the church began to control again how you come to God and how you hear God. And it's moving from the heart to the head until only the very educated are clergy. By the 14th, 15th centuries, most of Europe and certainly a lot of Great Britain are controlled by church. They own all the property. They have all the power. It's a massive organization. And the message is God is powerful, and I better behave. And if I want to get to heaven, I need to listen to the church. The beach is no longer a friendly place. 
I don't get to feel the touch of Jesus. I get to feel the touch of the priest and confession and jump through these hoops. And so my life isn't getting healed. My heart isn't getting warmed. And I'm categorized by what I belong to. I'm Christian or I belong to this particular denomination. Uh, The Reformation and the Renaissance, it's known as the time where the mind kicks in and science begins to work. We're going to explain how this world lives. We're going to explain how things work. So the mind is elevated even more into being our God. If I don't understand it and I can't explain it, then I'm not going to believe it. That is our inheritance. The evangelical church that rose up against the Catholic church over the Reformation came to take Paul's writing and began to teach out of Paul's writing. I'm caricaturing it, but I'm just doing a cartoon this morning. So you can come to Jesus through Jesus' revelation of his love in the Gospels, or you can come to Jesus through somebody who, you know the story of Paul, he was Saul, he persecuted Christians, he, he was hit on the head by God, in a sense, when he fell on the Damascus Road on his way to persecute more Christians. And he was struck blind, and God just uh, took Paul out, Saul out and said, your intellect is getting in the way, and you're going in a totally wrong direction. And so Saul was confronted by the risen Jesus, and it's one of the greatest conversions that we have written down. Every conversion is great, but this one was just spectacular. It's like an idiom in becoming a Christian, or Hitler. His reputation was awful. And so there was this transformation in Paul who then began to write these letters sometime later to help understand what Jesus, God had done in Jesus. And the evangelical church took Paul's writing and started teaching from them. And that was all good, except they missed the Damascus Road experience for most people. So what happens was you end up with a church that says, when you understand all this theology, then you can come to Jesus. Whereas Jesus had said, I call everyone to me. If you have to understand my theology, only a few people can come. You following me? If your entrance point and your, your what is, what, if, if God is dependent upon your intellect to make sense of him so that you can follow him, most of us are, are left out. Very, very, very few people. And if you're not careful, those of us who think we have the intellectual hold on God will find ourselves like Saul, going down the wrong road, drawing the wrong conclusions, because God does not think like I do. This is very good news. This is very good news because people with intellects and degrees think they're quite clever. People with intellect and degrees, and I can name drop those because I have them, think they're quite clever. They think they're a little cut above the others because, you know, I've gone to university in the Western world. And God is crying out to people to say, you do not need this huge understanding in order to know my love. Because 
Love starts before you have understanding. Look at how you have your children. They are conceived at an, in an, it's an initiative the child has no say over, by the way. And God's initiative is the same. He loves you before you love him. He thought of this. So my awareness of his love is just when I start lining up with what he's already done. It doesn't start there. And parents nurture children into a secure love relationship. And in the process of that love relationship growing, they begin to be able to converse more and more and begin to start exploring things. But it, the love starts first, and the exploring and intellectual stuff starts goes comes way later, depending on the relationship. The same is true with God. If I come to God through my intellect, I'll come really, really slowly, probably, and I will, I will become a religious Christian. Because I'll never let go of my intellect, so I will only go as far as I understand. And so I will go to church and I'll read the Bible and I'll read, read daily bread and I'll make sure there's a lesson to be learned every day. And Jesus will stand there and say what he said to Peter after Peter had denied him three times and left his cross because Peter had said, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do more than that. I'll do more than any of these guys. And Jesus' words to Peter were not an intellectual question. He said, do you love me? It was on that, those three words that he launched the whole Christian church, the whole ministry. I think it's still a good three words to use for everything. Do you love me? I don't know if you've ever been in relationships that have gone south. Maybe one or two of you have. You could write a book or two. Well, I've just, I'm writing a book or two. And you've been in the relationship and, and, and somebody says, do you love me? And you don't. Have you ever tried faking it? Have you ever tried... When, when love isn't there to, to kind of talk about why it's not. You know how difficult that is? When everything in you is not there and you have to talk about, do you love me? Oh, it makes me freeze just thinking of it. Well, Jesus comes to you and to me and he says, if you are evil, know what that's like. I know what it's like when I ask you that question. I'm not judging you. I'm merely saying to you, if you don't know what it's like to freely respond, I'm here to help you. I'm not testing you in a way that you can fail. I'm testing you in a way that will show you where you need it. Peter said, of course I love you. You know I love you. And so he responded from his heart that was already broken. Why did he respond? Because Jesus had come back to him when he thought it was all over and said, by his presence, I love you. Peter was responding to what Jesus was doing from a heart level. Jean-Francois, will you pay attention? Otherwise, you're not coming home with me. It's for you. So you go to Isaiah 53. I'm speaking words of life or death right now. I really am. I'll tell you what happens is when your mind is running, your heart can't get engaged. And your heart is where you live. 
Everything you want to do in your life comes out of your heart. Out of your heart, you, your mind thinks. And everything we do with God, He initiates. And the biggest thing God initiates always is, I love you. Yeah, I believe you do. I'm grateful for your unconditional love. That's not believing God's love. That's knowing about God's love. Cheryl, come up here, please. Come up here, Cheryl. I wasn't planning this, actually. It's, you went, uh-oh, he's going, why? Because I'm going to say, you know about love, and then you meet somebody, and you love them, and you say that. And then Nancy come up too. <laughs> and, and so there's an element of it, it becomes flesh. It becomes real. It becomes something that you can then talk about. There you go. Oh. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a reality that ceases to be um, abstract. Because God says, out of the overflow of your heart, others will know. And what I'm wanting to encourage us today is to get honest about where you are. And getting honest about where you are is not about condemnation. It's about hunger that actually um, we were hearing about earlier. I want this more. Let me... God's ways are not our ways. Just quickly in Isaiah 53... You read about uh, this person. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the Lord says, and I say, what is that about? And he says, that's my son. But I wouldn't write that about my son. He said, my ways aren't your ways. My son came into this world so that you could be my child. My son came into this world and he didn't look what people, like what people thought. He was actually came in humility. He came and he flew under the radar. People said this was not what we were expecting. And then he went to a cross and he looked even less like a king. And he said, well, he came for you. My son laid down his life so you could be my sons and daughters because we had to deal with this barrier of sin and rebellion, this God-like thing in you that wants independence. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God always works first and then calls us to respond. That's why for many of us it's a struggle because we think we have to initiate it. You try and keep the rules or you try and keep, you know, I've got to love God more. Forget it. Stop, stri stop trying and let Him love you. If you let him love you, you will love him more. How do you do that? You listen to your heart. You stop trying to think it through and you listen to your heart. What does your heart do? Your heart tells you really what's going on. Your heart will tell you where you need Jesus 
your heart, God never condemns your heart. He uses your heart as a monitor to tell you what he wants to do next. Satan comes along and condemns you and confuses you with your heart and, and, and says to you, you are nothing. God always reveals your heart to say, I've just got the thing for you. I just want you to know where you are and then I'm going to come and I'm going to help you with that. But it's going to have to be a relationship where you trust me. Because I am a father and you are a child. How many times do children say, I want to drive the car? You say, I have to wait. It's very much like that with God. I want a husband, I want a wife. You're going to wait. I wasted too long, I know, but you keep on wrestling around, so it takes longer. You don't trust me, so you, you, you work out your own solutions. Then it all crashes, and you come blame me. Why do you let me this happen? How many of us? I mean, most of you. I know most of you. and It's, a, it's rampant disease, isn't it? I mean, you know. I'm not going to wait. She looks good. I'll take her. Oh, shoot. Why did I do that? Why did you make me do that, God? He said, I didn't have anything to do with it. I actually watched you, and I shook my head, and I said, Jesus, we've got another problem. Again and again and again. And then he keeps blaming us. We're finishing. What does Jesus say? What does God say? What does the Bible say? He says to us, seek the Lord while he may be found. And in Isaiah 55, he says, come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Jesus would say to people, he said, come to me, all who are weak and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to all the things Jesus says. Are they to the head or are they to the heart? Your heart will tell you whether you're hungry or thirsty. Your head will reflect on that, but your heart is the truth. You can mouth things with your head, but your heart will betray you. Your body language will betray you. Your countenance will betray you. Because who we are comes from our heart. We try to fake it, but our bodies give us away most of the time. And so Jesus says, I come that you would know truth because truth will set you free. Truth is not what you think. Truth is who you are. And who you are will change your mind. That's how it works. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is active. It penetrates the thoughts of the heart. I'm just going to give you when, when Mary had her revelation that she was going to get pregnant with the Son of God, which she had no idea what to make of it all, we read Mary pondered these things in her heart. So the Bible talks about thinking in your heart. In Proverbs 23, 7, as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. In Luke 5, 22, uh, and Matthew 9, 4 are two areas where Jesus was with the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders. And it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts because he was reading them as t entire people and what they were thinking. You know, you smile at people and you, th you really wish they'd shut up, like maybe you're feeling now. Um, you know, you're sort of looking interested, but you're thinking about what's for lunch or something. That's too bad because you're missing something good right now. Um, but you know what? You know, we've all done that. Hi, nice to see you. Oh, shoot, why did I bump into them? There's a genuineness that flows, and then there's this other thing that takes place, right? That's what we're talking about. And God actually knows that too. He gets quite hurt because he knows. He goes, boy, you didn't really want to see me, did you? But I want to see you. I want to see you.
I do see you. There's no need to cower. There's no need to be afraid. Because I came as a savior just for you. Because you're so incomplete. And you're so afraid. And you think we're finished. And you're so worried about what I'm going to do. And you're so insecure that you're grabbing onto stuff and you think that's going to help you and your kids are going to spend it anyway and you're going to be so tickled. You don't, you don't know any, so much about trust. I have a future for you. I have a plan for you, but I want you to listen to your heart. And the way I listen to, you listen to your heart is just the way you do with your children. You pick them up and you hug them and you say, I'm here for you. I'm never going to leave you. All I have is yours. Don't be afraid. Some of you need to hear that today. Your heart. Your heart is where you live. Your heart is where God speaks. Some of you, it's been so long, your mind is almost, you haven't felt your heart for a long time because the last time was too painful. So you won't let your heart beat. There's anger and there's disappointment and there's disillusionment, there's fear and mistrust. He says, I know that. And believe me, I'm speaking from one who knows that. My testimony is one you can trust in. He's way more secure than you were. And one of the things that will be revealed as you open your heart is how rebellious you are, how frightened you are. So you want control. You don't like giving it up. So use your head to justify your rebellion. Desperately wants to draw us into places of greater freedom and openness. It's what Jesus meant when he said, uh, some people will say, Lord, Lord, and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. And I close with Paul's statement, actually, he wrote in Philippians, because we started with Paul, who was this great intellect. And in Philippians 3, he just says, you know, my whole mind is, I regard as nothing. And they had this incredible, he lists all the things he was, all his qualifications, and then he just says, whatever will gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. So what's so cool? It means you don't have to go to university. You never have to sit in a lecture. You don't have to get any degrees. You don't have to even know how to read or write. You just need to know God on the beach of your life saying, let's have some fun. Why don't you enter into the life I have for you? Let's stand. So we saw that video where the, guy, the, the little girl uh, took pictures and the picture she handed out was the picture of what God had for them in the future. Uh, they weren't defined by what they had been. They weren't defined by their struggle. They were defined by who he wanted them to be. Who does God want for you to be from where you are now? He loves you more than your children. In other words, more than you love your children. He knows you. And he wants to reach into your heart today. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to reach into hearts. What's your heart saying to Jesus? Right? Not performance. His heart to you is saying, I see you, I accept you, and I have all the resources needed for you to grow in your life with me. So what do you need to see from Jesus? Respond to him. Where if you're all full of your struggles and your weaknesses, I encourage you to know that you're not alone. For some of us, we might not want to go this close because we've got our plans. 
he might just whisper to you, are you sure you want transit or not? Just telling you that because I love you. I know you don't know how to trust. I know you draw closer to me, not further. Receive the love of the Father. You see, I want to get an explanation of what he's doing and where he's taking me. And you don't explain to a three-year-old where you're going. You know, I know it's hard, but be a three-year-old in the arms of the Father and trust him with the process. It's more fun. So, Father, I speak over this congregation. I speak over us today, and I command the orphan spirit to be gone in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I speak to the orphan spirit wherever it dwells, and I command it to be loosened in the name of Jesus. If you want to be rid of an orphan spirit, you just say, I renounce it in the name of Jesus. Father, I want to know what it's like to be your child in a deeper way. All right? You've got to participate because, unfortunately, this doesn't work. You know, kids with their hands by their sides not participating are called abused and dysfunctional. So, Father, bless you that you reach out to us before we even know how to reach out to you. But thank you for the love you have. I just pray release. Now receive the love of the Father. Now, we've done this many times, but we can never do it too much. I mean, you know, we hug each other every day, not just I gave you a hug last year. Why should we do one this year? So we need these things many, many times. So the Father wants to hug you right now. What are you going to do about that? He wants to hug you. He is hugging you. He is hugging you. In the name of Jesus, I just release the hugs of the Father. I've never done that before. I release the hugs of the Father really seriously. He's hugging you. He's hugging you in the name of Jesus. I wrote a song. There's blood on his hands and scars and thorns on his head. Wake up, please listen. Your Father is here. He stands alone at the door. He's asking, will you let him come in? Shut him out once more. There's blood on his hands and thorns on his head. I think there are tears in his eyes. He's asking, will you let me come in? Will you let me come in or will you shut me out once more? Father, bless you for your goodness. Thank you that you say yes. I pray that you will call us into life, call us into trust of the love of the Father. Pray your blessing on each person here. If you are able, you are sufficient. Set our hearts on fire with you. And where those hearts are hurt, will you just heal them? Pour out your healing for hurting hearts. In the name. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank him for loving you. Thank him that he has you in his hand. Thank you that he has your heart in his heart. Thank you that he knows that you're a little scared, but he's fine with that. He's just smiling with you and saying, I know, that's okay. Bless you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a song that's a, a declaration of God's goodness.